Welcome to Kairos. That guy, Joe, he's dragging a chair through and they're saying, hey, find a place for the chair, but you don't know where the place is for the chair. That's a show called Impractical Jokers. It cracks me up. Um, and when he finally finds a place for it, it's interesting. It's near some people, but it's with a barrier between. Isn't that interesting? You can be close to people and yet there is a barrier between people. What do you do when you don't know how to get close to people? Has anyone here in this room ever felt like they have a hard time connecting with people? I felt like I have a hard time connecting with people for sure. Sometimes it's simply because I'm uncomfortable at certain levels of connection with people. I think that you can relate to me because just about every single week at Kairos, we have to get up here on this stage in Ames and say before we get started, hey, go ahead and scooch in uh, to make room for people as they come in. So if there's seats between you and somebody else, you say, hey, go ahead and scooch in. We don't like to do that, right? Because if you come in and you're seeing someone who's sitting in your row that you don't know, you're like, oh, I don't know. Will it be weird if I take the chair next to him? So we've got like these benches, right? Like in a park. And if you see somebody sitting on the bench, Odds are you're not going to go right up next to him, right? Because it feels weird. I mean, like, honestly, you might be going up to that person for a nice, friendly conversation, but odds are the person will look back at you and be like, mm, 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 too close. We don't know each other. And you'll feel awkward about it, too. I had a roommate in college. Um, he's still one of my best friends today, and his name is Eric. And Eric showed up everywhere. He was always everywhere, and he was always very, very close. Eric's one of my closest and best friends in the world, and yet, because we're such close and best friends, uh, I mean, nearly brothers, we annoy each other. And sometimes I would tell Eric, I'm like, Eric, you're too close to me. You're too close. If we were sitting at a table in the cafeteria, I would sit on one side, and I'd wait for Eric, because Eric was so good at having conversations with every single person in line at the cafeteria. He'd be laughing, telling life stories, changing their lives, and then he'd go over to the salad bar, and he's just sprinkling all these seasonings on, just putting on a show for everyone. Because relationships and connecting with people and, uh, and, 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 uh, and giving them something that they'll enjoy mattered to him. He finally comes over, he sits down at the table, except he wouldn't sit across from me. He always would sit next to me. I'm like, what are you doing? This feels weird, you know? This just feels strange. My fiance, Abby, when we go to restaurants, we joke about sitting on the same side. Like, we're like, oh, that would be so weird, right? My roommate, Eric, he just did it all the time. All the time, he'd always sit right next to me and be like, please, please, please don't do this again. But you know what's funny? I always knew that Eric would be there for me. Always knew that Eric would be there for me. I could count on him with anything. I could open up to him about anything, and I still can. We talk every single week. He just told me this last weekend he got engaged uh, to his now fiance. It's a really exciting thing. Um, we can open up to each other and talk about that because we've connected like that. I mean, what do you do? What do you do when you're struggling to connect? People come to Jesus and they say, what do I do about all sorts of things? Jesus oftentimes points to this thing called the law. Everybody say the law. The law is something that oftentimes intimidates people in Christianity or just in religion in general because we think of the law as something of things that I have to do to get close to God. And if I don't, I will forever be on the other side of the bench from God. Someone comes up to Jesus and they say, well, what's the most important instruction? You know, those things that get you close to God. And Jesus starts with what you might think he would start with. This is in the book of Matthew. And it says, you must love the Lord your God. And we're like, okay, that makes total sense. But he's like, oh, but wait. But wait, there's more. A second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everyone say, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Now say, as yourself. as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says. All of the law points to this. Love God and love others. Everything 
in Christianity points to relationship. It points to connection. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Connect. Connect. And I know that sometimes that feels like it's the most unnatural thing for any of us to do. But I want to talk to you tonight about how you are capable of that. And if you're in this faith, if you're walking with God, and if you want to know God better, it's important to connect with God, yes, but it's also important to connect with other people. This is a space here in Ames, over in Iowa City. That's a space. Simpson, those of you who are starting up there, these are spaces where you can connect, where you can be close to people, where you don't have to be afraid about sitting on the same side of the table as someone else. In the book of 1 John, it says this. It says the whole point of Christianity is this. We're proclaiming to you what we've actually seen. So they're basically saying, look, we're telling you about this Jesus guy, everything that we've seen, his life-changing power, and everything that's happened to us. The whole reason why we want to tell you about that is simple. It's so that you can have fellowship, relationship with us, and so that you can have fellowship or relationship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. The whole point of faith is connection. It's connection. It's getting close to someone. That word fellowship, it's oftentimes just identified as a churchy word. It's a word that you don't hear if you're outside of the walls of a place like this. It's a word in the Greek, it's koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. And it does literally mean fellowship or participation in. Fellowship or participation in, we're going to okay, well, what does that really mean? It's actually a pretty provocative definition at its core. Do you know what it is? It's social intercourse. I know. I feel weird saying that. Do you feel weird hearing that? Social intercourse. It's not just, well, I'm going to go up to you and stand next to you. It's we're going to get involved in each other's lives. You would be able to sit next to me on the same side. You could come up to the park bench and sit next to me, and we'd feel good about it because we are connected. There are certain things that are meant not to just be placed next to each other, but to actually connect. I mean, here's the thing, if my hands are touching, they're touching, but this is connection. And this is what the Christian life looks like. It's connection. Social intercourse, what it literally, literally means, I think, is it's connection. Certain things are meant to go together like that. I mean, you can sit there with chocolate syrup and milk, but it's going to be a lot better if you stir that together. <laughs> and the Christian life is saying you should be as close to God and as close to other people as chocolate is to milk when it makes the beautiful combination of chocolate Milk. We got some in the back later for you tonight if you're here in this room. If, if you're watching from one of the other rooms, I'm, I'm very sorry. Here's what it says in Romans. You've heard this tonight in Romans chapter 12. A guy named Paul, he writes this. He says, don't think of yourselves as better than you really are. And you can hear that, and you might think that Paul is just saying, hey, don't be arrogant. Don't be so full of yourself. Is he saying that, or is he actually just saying, see the worth in other people? and what they have in your life, and what you have in your, what you have in theirs. Be honest in your evaluation about yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. What he's saying is, you can't do this alone. No one in this room was meant to walk alone. And I know that the temptation is to think that I can, because it's become a modern proverb for people to say, define your future. You are the master of your own success. No, you're not. Have you ever accomplished anything completely on your own? You're like, yeah, I have, because I hit the grind every day. <laughs> well, when your parents woke you up in the morning to take you to the grind called school, <laughs> who 
got you there? Be honest about your evaluation with yourselves. It's okay to be honest about that. Do you know how many studies are out there? Do you know how many studies I read just today in this week about how awful it is for your mind, for your body physically to keep things pent up inside of yourself? To refuse to share life with other people? Look, I mean, as much as it maybe bothered me every now and then that Eric would sit right next to me and be like, hey, how you doing, man? You want to connect today? You want to chat? You want to, you want to have a one-on-one? -on -one? Anybody here ever used the phrase one-on-one -on -one before? I worked at a Bible camp for four summers uh, through college and, and then, yeah, the summer after college. And we had this phrase. And it was called one-on-one. -on -one. And a one-on-one -on -one meant that you were going to have an individual conversation with another person, one-on-one. -on -one. And then you were just going to share life together. And you were going to chat. Now, it always, it never really uh, escaped me that if I were to say one-on-one -on -one in any other context, I probably would be ran away from. Hey, do you want to have a one-on-one? -on -one? Oh, gosh, get away from me, you know? <laughs> but like when it's with someone that you trust, you're like, hey, just one-to-one, -one. you want to talk? Like, we can remove the distractions. We can get away from the loudness of the world. And let's just get together and let's talk. Let's share life. Have you ever kept a secret that just tears you apart and you cannot tell anyone because you just, mm, if they knew that about me, if they knew that, I'd have to let them sit on my side of the bench. But have you ever gotten to the point where you actually freed yourself to share it? Do you know what that feels like to release those secrets? to be honest, to be open? Do you know what it's like to have somebody in your life who would say, I receive that, and I love you anyway? That's a beautiful thing. You know, the only kind of relationships that we can do that in are the ones where it's almost as if we are one. It goes beyond the step of one-on-one, -on -one, but it's, hey, do you want to just be one together for a moment? It says this, just a few verses later in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, just as our bodies have many parts, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. You might as well be connected with people. If you're connected with God, you're going to be connected with people. It's become very popular these days to say, you know, I don't need church. I don't need that. I, I can just go on my own. Christianity for me is an individualized experience. And I want to tell you right now, you're here. So thank you so much for knowing that Christianity is a community experience. We've already gone through the Bible tonight and shown you that in the Bible it says Christianity is not done alone. It's never done alone because it's compared to the body. As the church, we are the body of Christ. And if you're not here, we suffer because of it. And if you become disconnected from the body, you suffer because of it. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, ah, yeah, but you know, I'm not actually that important. I don't matter. I don't have a place there. There's no seat for me on the bench. And if there is, I just have to sit on the other side from everyone else. But you ever thought about elbows? You probably don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about elbows, do you? Because they seem a little meaningless until you try to eat a sandwich without an elbow. What if I try to talk to this microphone without an elbow? It's a lot harder. It matters. If there's no elbow, the entire body suffers. If you're not here, 
If you're not a part of this, no matter how insignificant you think you are, it matters because we're one. It's like this family thing. You know, everybody's got their first name, but you've got your last name. And that last name unifies you with other people. Whether you want it to or not, it unites you with somebody else. And that's a name that somebody can't just come in and change. It's saying, like, we're, we're together and nobody changes this. But maybe some of our biggest fear is that the name would be taken away. You know, I'm trying to make a name for myself, and I can't trust other people with making a name for myself, and so I'm going to take all of these steps by myself. I'm going to do it on my own, because my name is going to be sustained by me. And someday, when I die, there will be my name on my tombstone, and then a dog is going to come by and do his business on it. Oh, and that's a big fear. It's a horrifying fear, and like it's a ridiculous example, I get it. But isn't that the fear of like, I'm going to be as meaningless as a hole in the ground? Well, if it's just me by myself, then that's a fear that I have to deal with and a fear that I have to live with because the name will only last as long as my body lasts and as long as my reputation lasts. And then it just feels like I'm a wave on the sand. I came and I fade away very fast. But what if you do life together? What if you are connected? Think about the greatest individual achievements in the world. There's this guy, his name is Hasham El Garouj, and he has run the fastest mile in human history. He ran a mile in three minutes and 43 seconds. This was set almost two decades ago, and it still stands today. He ran a mile, one mile, one mile in three minutes and 43 seconds. It's hard to run one lap around a 400-meter track in under a minute. He obliterated that four times in a row. Nobody's ever been able to run one by himself any faster. And yet, year after year at the high school state track meet, the winning 4x4 team, which goes a mile, but it has four different people, at the high school level, obliterates his record. Thinking like, the last time I checked, it was 2018. The state championship boys high school team, their 4x4 team ran it in 3 minutes and 18 seconds. Anybody a Valley High School grad? Congratulations to you guys. Yay. <laughs> I was your little brother at Waukee. For those of you who aren't from Iowa, you're like, who cares? Eh. Waukee, when I graduated from, we had like 70 kids in a class. You know, was, we were, you know, we were walking to school uphill both ways, I tell you what. You know, anyway. It's amazing. Four high school students together can do something that the fastest mile runner in the history of the world can't do on his own. So let's go back, Romans chapter 5. We are one body with many parts. We all belong to each other. And when we function together, we do so much better. So much better. Now, the temptation to believe when it comes to Christianity is to think, well, I know that you're telling me to connect with people, but only some people, right? I can only connect with some people. Maybe sometimes that's why we're turned off by the church. Because when we think about the church and the churches that make up the church, the body of Christ, we think about kind of exclusion and how well, only some people are allowed in here. And if they are allowed in here, we'll kind of look at them funny and wish that they weren't here and not invite them back next time. It's not how it's supposed to go. Christianity is not exclusive. Christianity is the faith that tells you to do this. In Romans chapter 12, it says, don't just pretend to love people, really love them. How easy is it to make a post on social media that supports loving other people? How easy is it to just say, I care about you. 
How easy is it to sit on one side of the bench and let somebody sit on the other and not really care? And my goodness, we sometimes give ourselves so much credit. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to evaluate myself and be honest with myself, just like Paul told me to. And frankly, I think that I'm pretty good because do you see how active I am on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter about you know, supporting people? It's great, but do you really love people? Are you willing to go to the center of the bench with people? Look, Christianity is messy because when we get involved in other people's lives, when we actually connect with other people, we are absolutely risking our own reputations. We're totally risking our reputations. But we're not risking, we're not risking our identity. Your identity is in God. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is that you are loved. Your identity is that you have been given a name that will last forever. It's one that can't be trampled on. It's one that doesn't go away just because you've gone away. It says this in the book of Isaiah, first in Isaiah chapter 43. It says, don't be afraid. Those fears that you have that force you to overwork, to just completely be self-sustainable, don't be afraid of it. For I've ransomed you. I've gone into those places. I've gone to the center of the bench. I've called you by name and you are mine. That name, it's a powerful name. It's one that doesn't fade away. This name that I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. This one doesn't go away. So you don't have to be afraid to reach out to those people. I mean, think about it. If your identity is built based on the political party that you support, at a certain point, you will be forced to hate somebody of the other political party. If your identity is based in a certain cause, that's fantastic. But what if someone disagrees with your cause? And all these people that we started off intending to sit in the middle of the bench with, well, sure, there are some people sitting on either side of us, but one by one, we start to find ways to push people off to the side until eventually it's just us alone. And then that fear that we always had that we'd be cut off, that our name would be gone, that no one would remember us, well, that's what happens. I find my identity in this thing. I want to invite you to find your identity into something so much bigger, something that lasts forever, a name that lasts forever. My dad has a podcast. He's, his, name's, his name's Mike. You might know him as Pastor Mike. He's the senior pastor of Lutheran Church of Hope. It's, we're one of the campuses of Hope. And they've got this podcast that came out this week. And yesterday, him and Pastor Jeremy, who's also a pastor at Hope, they had this conversation about what it means to be the church. And my dad shared this story about how when he was a kid, his older brother was saying, I'm not going. I don't need to be a part of that. I don't need to connect with those people. There's nothing in it for me. And so for us, Christianity and being a part of the body of Christ, it's no longer an identity thing, but we just see it as a behavior, something that we do, something that we get a part of. But it's so much more than that. My dad's dad said to his older brother, he said, no, we don't go to church because it's what we do. We go to church because it's who we are. You're the body, you are united, you are connected. And we can say, oh, but I can get to know God by myself. 
You can get to know God by yourself to a certain extent. I'll admit that. But think about how you get to know anybody. If you got to know me one-on-one, you'd see certain sides of me. And yet if you hung out with me and with my friend Eric, a certain other side of me would come out that only comes out when Eric is around. And if you were to hang out with me when I was with my fiance, Abby, you'd see a whole nother side that comes out of me that only she brings out. If you want to get to know God, get around other people. And don't just pretend to love them. Really love them. And you'll start to see sides of God, pieces of God, elements of God. That maybe you once thought were too good to be true. And maybe it's that person that you think, oh, there's no room for them here. Spend time around them, you see that God loves them. Oh, there's room for that person. 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 All of a sudden, you might start to believe that there's room for you too. How can we connect? I mean, really, how can we connect? Connection is kind of this nice idea. Maybe we think that it only exists in some sort of utopian dream-like society. But there's this kind of skimmed over sentence in the Bible, and it comes before one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. It's in Mark chapter 4. There's a few different accounts of this, but here in Mark chapter 4, it says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. If you've been in church long enough, you've at least been around this passage because right after this, Jesus enters a sea with his disciples on a boat and this crazy storm hits their sea. It's causing great chaos to all of them and their boat's gonna sink. And the disciples wake Jesus up. They're like, come on, won't you do something about this? In the midst of the storm, Jesus is in the back of the boat sleeping at peace. How cool is Jesus? And that's the part of the story that we hear about and we think about. And that's a very important part of the story to learn about. To know that Jesus Christ, God himself, is in your boat. But what was the whole reason why he got in that boat? And what was the whole reason he was willing to go into that storm? He's God. You think he didn't know a storm was coming? As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Up to this point, Jesus had been performing all sorts of miracles. He'd been performing them for people who were on his side of the lake. Maybe a lot of these people looked like him, talked like him, thought like people who looked like him. It would have been real comfortable for Jesus to stay there, to continue to cut off people on the other side of the lake. But it says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over. Jesus is on one side of the bench. He says, let's get to the center and see who's on the other side. Let's get close. Let's get connected. It's funny, in the passage right after this, it says that Jesus crosses the lake and he helps one guy. You think your problems don't matter to God? He went into a physical storm that should have killed him and his disciples for one guy. One. 
You know, C.S. Lewis said that Jesus Christ came and he died for all of humanity, but even if it was just for one human, he'd have still done it. Jesus came and he died for all people, but Jesus came and he died for you. And much more importantly, than crossing over a lake and through a physical storm, Jesus crossed the cosmic universe and hung in an infinite storm so that he could cross to the other side to find you. In Isaiah chapter 53, they prophesy this about Jesus. He was despised and rejected. He's a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. I can't connect with people because people don't understand my pain. Christ understands your pain. I could never look at you eye to eye and tell you I know exactly what you're going through. Christ can. Not in a way to minimize your pain, but to say, yeah, it's really bad, isn't it? So as we turned our backs, we looked the other way. Sometimes we get so caught up in finding people to be against because of our causes that we're for, we've pushed so many people away that eventually we've even isolated God himself to say, I don't know if there's room for you here. And yet he goes into it, and it tells us why just a few verses after that. It says this, it says, you see, when he, being Christ, When he sees all that's accomplished by his anguish, he's going to be satisfied. He's going to be happy. He will see that it was worth it. And that righteous servant, that was what makes it possible for many to be counted as righteous. Because he will bear their sins. I was afraid of being cut off. I was afraid of my name disappearing. I thought I had to handle this on my own. And if I trusted anybody else with it, I'd fall away. That's the opposite of what happens. If you only trust yourself, you'll only last as long as yourself. But if you trust the eternal and the the infinite God, you last forever. Again, in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 22, there are these religious officials who are arguing with Jesus. They're like, there's no afterlife. It just ends. Once Once you're done, your name is done. It's over. And look, if that's all there is to it, it's the reality. It's done. Once my body withers away, everything about me withers away. What's the point of it? Why should I ever reach to the other side? Why should I connect with anyone? Why should I care? Why should they care about me? If the waves just come and they go. Jesus tells them about the God that he knows. He tells them, he said, no, no, no. The God that I serve, my father, he is the God of Abraham. He is the God of Isaac. He is the God of Jacob. And we're like, okay, great. Jesus has just given us this Old Testament history lesson. But you know what's really amazing? He said God is the God of Abraham, a man who had died thousands of years ago. God is the God of Isaac, a man who had died thousands of years ago. And same thing for Jacob. God, Jesus is saying he is the God of them today. Sometimes when we lose someone that we love and we care about so deeply, we sit in that state for at least a while and we don't talk about that person in the past tense. We talk about that person in the present tense because we don't want to let go of that love. 
We don't want to let go of our experience with that person. It's not he was a great person. Oh, he's such a great person. I love him, but he's gone. And Jesus is saying, once I put my love on you, that's eternal. That's forever. Connect with me. purpose to connect with him is not just so that you get heaven. Don't get me wrong. That's amazing. That's enough in itself. But you connect with him. And when you connect with him, you find all people. See, this is the purpose. God's existence is perfect. And part of God's perfect existence for all of infinity is that God has always been in relationship. Kind of securing to know that you're in a relationship sometimes, isn't it? I got somebody who's got my back. Maybe it's not romantic, but it's a friendship. And that person has me. They always meet me right in the center of the bench. We can sit together. God had that forever. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the church, we call it the Trinity. It's a complicated lesson probably for another day, but for tonight, I'll just tell you this. God has enjoyed connection and relationship with himself forever. And that connection and relationship is so perfect that God is not just three separate persons. God is three persons that is one God. And God says the whole point of connecting with me is so that you can experience that kind of perfect existence with all of creation. And so someday in that heaven that we thought, oh, that was the end. That was the point of all of it. That's all that we wanted, just, you know, just, just to get to heaven. You'll get there. And you'll see this. Not me, not me on stage. I don't think we'll need sermons anymore. But we'll be connected. And because God has put his love on that relationship and on that connection, We'll all be there together, <laughs> forever. Center of the bench, unashamed, unafraid, willing to share. Jesus Christ went to the other side for you. And he just so happened to find all of us. Isn't that beautiful? The most important instruction I can give you, this, give you tonight is this. Jesus Christ himself invites you to his table to connect with him. And as we connect with him, we're connecting with others. That's why it's called communion. It's communion with God in the community of believers. Come forward. Connect with God tonight. Amen.